0: Hollywood's hunted, Hollywood's hunted, Hollywood's really, really hunted, Hollywood's hunted, Hollywood's hunted, Hollywood's hunted Hollywood's- haunted the podcast Or sorry Hollywood's haunted the podcast I'm already looking away from the microphone <laughs> trying to take my notes if you listen to the previous episode our first one um, you'll probably notice that this might sound a little bit better that's just because we're amazing and professionals we, here we, we just correct like madmen. <laughs> um also I'll be adding the Hollywood's haunted theme song to all of this so let's just pretend we just heard it Da-da-da-da-da. oh my god that was amazing. <laughs> that was the best theme song I've ever heard. Um, shit, I mean, I could insert sound effects and stuff. There you oh go. Oh my fun. god, that explosion that just happened outside of the home. Oh. <laughs> Is that gunfire? <laughs> Six planes just flew cool. <laughs> um, But yeah, welcome back. I'm here with Jameson Carbano. Um, Hi everybody. Not Carbano. Um, <laughs> yeah, welcome back. How was, how was your week? What, what did you do?
1: Had a good time, my friend, doing a lot of research for this. Um, finding some cool ghost stories online, and and just uh, listening to what people say when they when they uh, are trying to explain how their experience went. You know, it's uh, it's it's fun. Sometimes you get some really good stories. Sometimes you just kind of get middle of the road blah stories. But um, uh, you know, this has been fun trying to do research and and
0: it's it's definitely things. it's definitely interesting trying to research um, hauntings. Um, Because mine doesn't specifically uh, have a haunting, per se, um, that's written, you know? Okay. Um, My location is um, one we actually had when, I don't know if I told you this, but when we tried to do a bike, a haunted bike tour, Uh, we got a lot of, like, people that were interested, but riding a bike in Los Angeles at any time is (laughs) incredible. I mean, you drive a motorcycle, so you... I mean, that's allowed to be on the road. We were riding bikes, so yeah. It was um, credit to James Roseboom for you know spearheading that thing that didn't <laughs> work out. Shout out. <laughs> um, but yeah, this was going to be a stop on our bike route, because it's a little farther off than our Hollywood Haunted Tour walking uh, ghost tour. Bend a spot is where? um uh, basically like Selma um it's it's on Sunset Boulevard but it goes far back to Sun uh Selma and it's been uh, what was the address and uh, um, actually let's just get into it yeah um so my it's actually called the crossroads of the world okay um if you live in hollywood or know of hollywood you might have seen it but you probably drove right past it because it just it's been dilapidated for quite some time
1: now that has the iconic uh
0: spire right uh, yeah tall, it's a f- 55 foot tall spinning globe there you go um and it was designed by robert v dara and it is actually the whole design is what a late branch of art deco that's called nautical deco mm. Um, Which, I mean, it makes sense that that's what it's called. It also makes sense when you look at the design, it's, I mean, there's like, it looks like a boat on the top, you know, and then they have, like Art Deco is supposed to be, you know, very streamlined, you know, edges, sharp type stuff, but this was a little bit more curvier and seafaring imagery was, you know, definitely prominent. Interesting. But it was mostly because uh, it was the 30s and sea travel was kind of prominent at the time, you know. Um Yeah, a lot of shipping and stuff right yeah the Long Beach ports and whatnot. Titanic. <laughs> that should be it. that should be uh one of our we should do one. Actually you should do that. Oh I, I would be all over that one. Yeah, my next one is Titanic. watch out. Um not for <laughs> the glacier the iceberg, but for Jameson's story. Yes. Um but, um, yeah, so it was, yeah, nautical deco because of the rounded edges and um, the outer buildings um, because basically the whole area was an outdoor shopping mall okay. when, when it was originally created. Um, but so little um, stores and kiosks. And yeah, the they, like that. yeah, and they had these giant bay windows and stuff that were supposed to be like advertising, you know, what the shops had and stuff but originally. Uh, this was, now this is on Hollywood Boulevard, correct? This is, no, technically it's on Sunset. On Sunset, i but it goes far. as back to <laughs> Selma, you know, so it's like a big, big block. Right. Um, about a block long. About a block long, like okay. a city block, yeah. Um, but the outer buildings there. A more a European village, you know. They mm. have a medieval one, a Spanish one, an Oriental one, French, and then Cape Cod. Um, okay. You know, from the land of Cape Codia. Okay. Where the white man liveth, and is so overpriced. <laughs>
1: are you saying that like each building represented a different a style? different
0: different style? Like, and it was supposed to be um, Ella Crawford, who was the creator of this. She wanted she. I think I actually just have the quote. Yeah, she wanted to to be feel like you're taking a trip around the world. Okay. She also. Um, I don't have this written down, but I, this was in one of the articles I read. But she actually uh, supposedly drew a lot from the World's Fair, and she wanted to make this like a you know, I mean like Disney wanted to sure. like a consistent World's Fair year round or whatever. And this was uh, originally built at what time? Uh, 1936. Okay. Uh, was yeah when it was. Uh, uh, completed, yeah. It started a few years earlier than that. Construction um, started before <clears throat> Construction started, yeah, a few years before. They didn't have any real record on that, though. Um, but yeah, she, she said it was a permanent World's Fair with a cosmopolitan atmosphere. Okay. So the
1: concept was that you walk into this open mall, uh, and if you go to one side, you feel like you're in China. If you go to another spot, you feel like you're in mm-hmm. France. And um, they tried to,
0: like, cater um, the shops and stuff, the retail stores that would, you know be in these certain areas. Okay. But I guess it only lasted for a certain time um, because Mrs. Crawford was the widow of an infamous man named Charles Crawford. Um, Charles Crawford was known later on and throughout history, to be a mobster to some people or just a bad guy. Now, um, for people out there that don't know what infamous means, that means that he's so famous that
1: he's infamous. Is that correct? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> right. I just want to make sure I got that right. He
0: is completely in He is inside famous. Got it. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, a little history on Charles Crawford before I jump into the story. Um uh, was 1900s. He was uh, working in Seattle. He was operating a dance hall, actually at the time. And then 1910, he started operating a bar, um, but it had a casino and brothel in LA. In uh, this was in California. California. Okay. It wasn't in Los Angeles. It was like Northern California. Um, but that's um where he met a few people, and then he a lot. A lot of, he basically created a lot of government police connections. Uh, most people claim that he was just an extremely savvy talker. Okay. Um, a shyster, huh? base uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, everyone thought of him as like, oh, he's like an upstanding guy, but everybody kind of knew behind the scenes what he. Did. We know. We know, <laughs> Charlie. <laughs> um, but also, he was uh, when he started getting all these connections and stuff. He would be the person to provide the heads-up for business owners when they were conducting raids uh, during Prohibition. Oh, okay. Um, and then he created in 1921 what was called, I think by the newspapers, called him, called him this, but it was known as the City Hall Gang. And that contained Mayor, at the time, George E. Cryer, and prosecuting attorney Kent Kane Parrott. Oh, yeah, I know about him. He shows up in the uh, Dahlia in the book. the Dahlia book, that's mm-hmm. right, yeah. Um, that's interesting. I didn't even think about that until de- just now. That, oh, yeah. Th- thank you for bringing mm-hmm. that up. Um, we'll be definitely talking about uh, later on in the podcast, uh, not tonight, but in a, f- a few episodes later when I finish the goddamn book, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but about uh, Steve Hodel and the whole Black Dahlia story. But, uh, yeah, definitely Kent Kane Parrot. Um he, he ran the show. He was running the police. And the, that's, I mean, through Crawford's connections with Mayor Cryer and Prosecutor Parrott, who ran the police, he was able to give these warnings to, you know, these businesses. So he
1: was tipped off to go and let those guys and tip them off. Exactly, Okay. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Uh, yeah, kind of like a middleman. Um, he also became known as the Gray Wolf of Spring Street. Um, he was a, and that was because he was, uh, actually running a bar, uh, when he moved to LA, um, he was actually running a bar off of Spring Street in downtown LA. Okay. Um... I think you might have illegal eventually. bar. This is during prohibition. I think, I think every bar he would have <clears throat> okay. had a casino sure. or a brothel or it was uh, the meeting of some secret society or I something. I see. So we're talking more speakeasy. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And uh, the Maskers from uh, Boardner's uh, were uh, members of. Uh, okay, definitely uh, members of his uh, establishments. I don't think I know what the Maskers are. Oh, okay. The when um, um, for our listeners on Hollywood's haunted tours, at the end we go to Boardner's. Uh, which is a really cool old Hollywood <clears throat> bar, kind of hole in the wall at the time for sure. But Ordner's um, was definitely known for um, secret societies. Okay, they had tons of them there. And so, Maskers a- was one, and Saints and Sinners was one. Uh, that These was where they were all secret societies. Yeah, secret oh, societies. Yeah. Okay, that was kind of where their headquarters were. Um, so whenever, like I said, whenever bootleggers and operators uh, or, or other. Operation illegal operations of any kind would need assistance. The advice was always given, see Charlie about it. Hmm. And that was actually a quote uh, from the LA Times interesting. Um, that apparently they'd interviewed several people about it, and that was always the notion. It was like, ah, oh, see Charlie about it. <laughs> I wish I knew a see Charlie about it. Kind of, you know what I mean? I mean, maybe I don't. Everyone maybe needs a Charlie in life, <laughs> I think. You <laughs> I know, you need a Charlie. Crawford. What do I do about this toilet? See Charlie. See Charlie. <laughs> I need mean, to call Charlie, actually. But... <laughs> um, it's and it, it was interesting because although he was huge, apparently he was a giant dude. Um, they didn't give actual descriptions, but everybody said he was very physically imposing. Um, mm-hmm. But he apparently had a very effeminate voice and an Adam's apple that would wander and bobble around uncontrollably. And so a lot of people think that this was kind of why he was kind of given the the slip or the slide a lot of the times when he was, you know, an investigator or something because they'd be like, oh, this this buffoon, you know, to kind of like, you know, like, oh, like, he's, he couldn't hurt a fly. You know, he's just a big teddy bear, you know. Interesting. But apparently he was not. Apparently (laughs) he was definitely a bad dude. Hmm. Um, But yeah, his uh, notorious viciousness actually helped him take public uh, corruption to its height in the 1920s. Uh, and that was also another quote from the LA Times. Most of this information is from the LA Times or LAist.com. Um, LAist.com. They have a lot of cool LA history. I hmm. highly recommend checking that out. LAist? LAist. So it's like LA murderist. Or LA, just a bunch oh, okay, of... okay. I got it. Ists and isms. Isms. <laughs> That's going to suck editing. Uh <laughs> <laughs> There's a snake in the room. So, yeah, like I said, they called him the Gray Wolf of Spring Street, Uh, Good Time Charlie. Eh? Eh. That's a name I've heard before. Right, yeah. Um, But, yeah, a lot of people knew him also as a prominent local politician um, or an organized crime boss. He was Now, did he actually
1: hold a political office? A
0: local political office, yes. Uh, He was, uh, I think it was uh, some district, I think he was like... The a representative, representative of
1: his district or something. Some shit, yeah.
0: Okay, it wasn't. Yeah, so he wasn't a mayor or a, something like that. No, but, no, no. Okay. Um. So yeah, so and so he was, yeah, a bad dude. And so there was. Um, let's get to the incident, um, because most people didn't know Crawford, and um, you know, unless they were in this industry, in one of these notorious industries back in the day. Um, the public, I mean, I guess didn't know Charles Crawford, uh, it wasn't until he died that he, you know, he became a public figure and then, you know, they investigated him. Um, so basically all the muck came up after he died. Exactly. Yeah. So he was actually shot, um, in his, uh, at his estate actually which is, what is I think it's actually 666-something. Hmm. Uh, yes, located at 6665. Oh, Sunset the Boulevard. neighbor of the beast. Yes, yes. neighbor of the beast. <laughs> right? The devil actually just walked in and was like, I said turn it down, and shot him in the head. Sorry, wrong <laughs> house. Uh, but, um, so yeah, he, he and newspaper man Herbert Spencer... And he wasn't like the newspaper boy. He was like right. you know, running a newspaper. <laughs> um, what do you but, know? What paper he was running? Um, I, I think, I, think I do there. somewhere. It's, it's, That's okay. I'll, I'll find it somewhere. Um, but yeah, he was. He, they were apparently. He, they were both apparently shot and killed there uh, by former deputy district attorney David Clark. Uh, David Clark murdered murdered Charles Crawford and Herbert Spencer.
1: Okay, two people.
0: Um, yeah. Oh. Um, and it was said to be self-defense. Okay. That's and what he claimed. Yeah. And this is murdering a mobster, you know, or, you know, organized crime boss or, you know, and this, um, uh, district attorney. Okay. Um, so that was one
1: of the guys with Parrot, right? He was one of the guys that was in there.
0: Well, yeah, they definitely said, uh, I don't remember that being brought up in the book yet. Uh, specifically no, no, I'm saying- Clark, I'm
1: um, I'm sorry because I just want to make sure I'm clear on this. So the two people that were murdered, one of the guys was one of the city councilmen that he had under his belt. Exactly. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Um, and D- David Clark was known as uh, God. What are they? Handsome Dave. Handsome the Dave. What was they? Was one they called him. Now but he was also apparently you know he was a district attorney, but he was uh, obviously shady. Yeah. Right. He's working with criminals right, and stuff. Yeah. Okay.
1: And then and then the the main guy, he was married to the woman that is the one who invented the Charles crossroads. Charles Crawford, yeah. Charles that, Crawford he, is he the was crossroads. married to Ella yeah, Ella Got it. Crawford, okay. yeah. All
0: right. And uh, so the 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 murders and uh, the trial were, you know, huge headlines obviously and this was nineteen thirty one. Um, but he's murdered in nineteen thirty one. Yeah. Right? Okay. this is yeah, that's when both of them were murdered, yeah. And they were um, both in the
1: same room? In, and,
0: in the exact same room, yeah. They were he, in, in basically in his office. Okay. Uh, and his office actually apparently had, it was described as having a. Where is it? Oh my God. Yeah, it, it was a. Uh, I can't find it. But it was basically, they said that it was a desk with four phones on it and a panic button. <laughs> That's all that was on it. <laughs> That's all I need. Uh, but apparently, prosecutors were really not um able to pin anything down on clark because he was the only he was the witness it's his, it, word, against it's his word against nobody's word against nobody. yeah exactly and this is 1931 so there's you know it's not that we're way better off now but there's obviously things that have happened to stop you know <laughs> like sure you like have gun rights getting away yeah exactly all, all yeah. sorts of ways of... cameras and all that shit sure and, um, so they couldn't find, you know, witnesses or anybody with any previous, uh, uh, information about the crime. So according to, uh, Rasmussen, who is, I believe the person that, uh, wrote, uh, was, he was there at the trial and then wrote this cause this was back when you couldn't, you know, you can't film trials and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, at his trial, Clark testified that both killings were in self-defense Spencer was angry with him, he said, for using his judicial campaign as a platform for which to hammer those involved in local vice and graft. So, um, yeah, I guess Crawford was trying to be a judge. Crazy. Mm -hmm. More power. (laughs) Um, So, aware of the bad feeling, Crawford had attempted to act as a peacemaker and invited Clark and Spencer to meet in his office. Fearing a trap... Clark stopped and bought a gun overdrawing his bank account to make the purchase Mm. at the meeting. Crawford tried to make a deal with Clark asking for his help in framing the police chief and assuring him of a victory in the coming election. But when Clark refused and threatened to expose him, expose him, Crawford pulled a gun. Clark responded by drawing his own newly purchased weapon and shoot and shot both Crawford and Spencer to death. Or so he says. Mm-hmm. That's convenient. So convenient. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is way too. It wasn't convenient.
1: me. It was the one-armed man. Right.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Um, so. So yeah, that that's what what was testified. Um, you can kind of you know draw your, your own conclusions, but I mean these were. But he was acquitted, yeah. Uh, yes, and apparently, um, yeah. Miss Mrs. Crawford was actually <coughs> present in the courtroom when he was acquitted. She had nothing to say, because um, she wasn't there to see it. Correct. No, yeah, but she didn't have any comment on it after he was acquitted. You know, everybody was kind of her comment was her no comment. Be, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> but everybody expected her to be this like crazy wailing, flailing woman. You know, which was you know looked down on or whatever at the time. Um, they were expecting her to make a scene. And exactly. She, and she yeah. basically didn't. Uh, um, and the, the the another reason this was. Uh, Uh, um, even on record that she uh, didn't say anything was because uh, this was one of the first uh, trials that actually used a microphone. Interesting. Um, And that's where they caught uh, Clark for the record um, who ended up killing again in the Mm fifties. And this time he killed a good friend's wife and, uh, after he was arrested, uh, like few, like three days later, he died of a heart attack. In oh. jail. So, I mean, huh. I think we said this last time, but at least he died. <laughs> you know, at least, at least <laughs> he died as well. Interesting. Um, so <clears throat> many, many. I mean, everybody thought that the reason Ella Crawford created the Crossroads of the World was to kind of wipe away, you know, her previous life. Any kind of stigma or whatever. Exactly, yeah. And apparently he had, like, a good chunk of change. So all of this
1: happened before the Crossroads was even a thought.
0: Yeah, this was 1931, and Crossroads didn't happen until 36. Okay, so now is
1: his his office located in that area?
0: Uh, No, his office, yeah, it was located at a different um, spot. Um, Technically, it's the same property, um, but where... um, where his proper like where that bungalow was mm-hmm. would basically be like a parking lot on the same area. Okay. Because when, after it happened, uh, they apparently they wanted, she didn't want anything. So she demolished it and then they raised it and did this whole brand new okay. shopping mall with it. I
1: see. So basically the spot where her husband and another person was murdered, she decided to tear it all down tear and start down. over. Yeah, and she re- it raised it, yeah. this world-friendly outdoor mall type thing.
0: And, and apparently it was uh, pretty, pretty big uh, when it first started out. Um, opened on October 29th, 1936. Uh, it was a huge attraction. They had connections to local movie studios. So uh, Ella was able to secure performers who were contracted to Universal, uh, like Caesar uh, Cesar Romero, wow. hmm. Benny Barnes, Wendy Berry, Boris Karloff, wow. Henry Armetta misa aware i don't know that bridge and george murphy (laughs) cesar Uh, romero huh right yeah that's that's batman right there i mean and boris karloff that's 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 the dude right there i'm only listing those because those are the ones i know do i know who george murphy is um i've never heard that name i don't think i'll show you a picture you'll
1: be like oh that dude (laughs) i don't know that dude gts (laughs) GTS, google
0: that shit. google
1: that shit. i didn't know there was an acronym for that okay (laughs)
0: Um, dun, dun, dun. So yeah, that was uh, the big complex. It originally housed 57 high-end shops, cafes, and bazaars, along with 36 offices above. And that was where like the ship thing is uh, on the top. Apparently, the the design the designer he was actually the same guy who did the Coca-Cola bottling factory in downtown LA. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's kind of in like the industrial area mm. now. For downtown LA, but when I was working the uh, Alita Battle Experience immersive thing, yes, it was which was way in the fucking butt fuck of downtown. <laughs> oh my god, that was a kind of sketchy area. But, <laughs> but that's where the Coca Cola bottling center is. All right, but that it's exact same design. You know, it's beautiful. It's really pretty. Hmm. Um, but it's kind of weird that it's in you know that area. Yeah. Well, not really. I mean, at times is that that's still, still working too. too? That that company is. I think so. Yeah, I think it's still Producing. Yeah. Producing, yeah. That's where I got that Coke that I got (laughs) early, (laughs) all the way down LA, all the way from the source, (laughs) only the best. Um, So yeah, uh, after you know, few years it changed, it you know changed hand. But uh, in the 1960s, the Crossroads, be buildings there, you know, because it wasn't all one thing anymore. uh, It housed several tenants who were involved in the song poem music industry business. Have you ever heard of the song poem? This was interesting. I actually looked this up. Um, Have you ever heard of Pay to Play? Yes. Basically the same thing. Hmm. But this was kind of like the original. Uh, In the back of magazines, you know, lots of different types of magazines, there, there would be this little thing that's like, You know, do you want to be a music artist? You know, send us this and we'll produce your record, you know. And you could literally send... You could write down song lyrics Mm -hmm. and how you'd want the song to sound or whatever, you know. And as long as you sent money with them, they would record it, you know, using... You know, studio musicians or whatever that could do 1900 of these in a day, mm-hmm. you know, they would do all that, press it, you know, on a record or however many you purchased or whatever, and then send it to you, you know. Oh, okay. Kind of, kind of cool, you know, because the thing kind of, they would say, like, oh, we're going to send this out to all of our labels, um, right. radio stations, you're going to be on the charts, you know, all this stuff. They don't tell you that they own a few labels. <laughs> they they put it on stations that are dead air channels. That back then there were a lot of stations that had dead air. I mean, I don't know if you remember watching TV back in the day, and there was times where the TV was just not showing shit. Yeah, because there wasn't anything to show. You it's know, true, yeah. So like back then they would get like you know three a.m. to five a.m. slots. You mm. know, and where. I mean, when I worked for ARN uh, doing, like we talked about doing radio and shit last time uh, when I did that, like I got to put my radio station or radio channel on for an hour and it was like from four to five in the morning. Sure. But that was also like, I didn't have to get like, I didn't have to pay for those, you know, sponsorships or whatever and stuff. Right. Mm. Um, So basically, yeah, song, poem, music, industry, kind of a scam. You know, most of the people that sent music there were like, oh, I'm going to be big because because you would send them a song, you, you know, it would be like, you know, like, my Toyota is red or something, you know, and they would come send you back like, this is the best song we've ever heard. <laughs> you are amazing. <laughs> We're going to produce your record. This is going to you So they would fill yeah. you with all this, you know, that's why people thought I was a scam because technically they didn't do anything else that because, you know what I mean? Like, so they, they weren't did... stealing the people's things. No. Okay. Yeah, right. you know, so it wasn't necessarily a scam technically. Right. But most of the people that were doing this were like, oh I could be big, you know? Right. And the reason uh, there was an article, I can't remember. Oh, Basically, me. it's like a false hope industry. Exactly, yeah. Okay. But the, the reason somebody found this out, or not found this out, but he did like this article about it, who's curious, you know? And he sent in something like, you know, my farts are purple or something like right, that. Right. And they something. sent him that generic, you are a god. Oh, you write the best music ever. And this he's is the like, best fart song we've ever fuck? heard. He's like, no, no, <laughs> this doesn't make sense. Interesting. And after he pressed his records, then he was like, "This is stupid." <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So you could basically pay, send a way
1: for your music to be made professionally, right? Yeah,
0: which is kind of cool. Like you know, mm-hmm. when you think about it, because you could, it was four hundred dollars back then to have your song put to an orchestra. Wow, that's that. I would pay four hundred bucks to do that right now. But so. I mean, four hundred dollars back then, good lord. That's true. And yeah, I, what, that what, yeah, five, five grand easy. Like five grand, grand easy. Yeah. But, like, thinking about it like that, like, oh, okay, like, that's attainable now for some Joe Schmo. That
1: well, I mean, they kind of have a similar thing where you just go into that recording booth and you record your song and it pops out the CD. So, I mean, it's, you know. Oh, my God, yeah. Oh, my God, thing. I forgot about those. You I know? Mean, I mean, you don't have an orchestra with it or whatever, but, you know.
0: Yeah, there's some, I mean. Same concept. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Now they have, like, algorithms and shit for that, you know. Now they also have Pro Tools. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do it at your house naked. Pro Tools, we would totally accept a free version of Pro Tools. Pro Tools. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was in the 1960s. Uh, Liberace's brother, George, was actually one such song industry scam poem artist. Um, but apparently he was uh, staying at the Crossroads because he was also working there. Because apparently they were still broke. Um, hmm. But that's it was just very dilapidated at the time. Uh, Jimmy, so by the 60s, this place is falling apart... Not falling apart, it just, uh, ne- sorry, not dilapidated. Uh, it wasn't necessarily falling apart, it was just like they they the, didn't have shops anymore. The concept you know? had kind the, of... Yeah, the concept had totally failed. failed. Yeah, okay. definitely. Right. Um was it popular anymore? Yeah, in the 50s, they even said uh, that they were selling, uh, some person had bought it, and he was, no, he would like titled himself as like a crazy investor, too. And some person had bought it for a million dollars, and then was, by the end of the year, he was selling used motor- motorcycles on the oh. lot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Mm. Not to diss on motorcycles. So no, like, no, I no. didn't mean to bring <laughs> <this. laughs> These were used. Um, but uh, so yeah the uh, Jimmy Webb noted songwriter um, sold the rights to his classic song MacArthur Park to actually uh, one of these con men who was also known to sleep on the floor of his office when he was broken homeless (laughs) Uh, in the late 1960s one of the offices was occupied by a porn magazine that would try out young hopefuls by photographing them in the nude and it was actually here that unknown John C. Holmes went one day and showcased his Talent. Talent. It's a good word. Right? Um, yeah, and that actually led to the start of his career in adult films. A couple other noteful things. LA Confidential was filmed there. Okay. And Alfred Hitchcock actually stayed there in the fifties. Interesting. Um, and to to shut this off, because I thought this was going to be a shorter one, um, but this is just something I wanted to say kind of verbatim. This is what Ella Crawford said after he was let go. All right. Um, this was, yeah, August 26, 1931. At the close of the trial, as I was coming out of the building, called the Hall of Justice, thinking of the injustice expressed by the verdict in the trial involving the slaying of my husband... I stepped across the street and was confronted by an inscription on an old building that had been erected many years past. It read, It's not your battle, but God's. So as far as I'm concerned, District Attorney Fitz need not put any more burlesque shows in the trial of my husband's slayer. In these times of depression, it would be far better if the taxpayers be saved the cost of another futile gesture such as that they just completed. In the trial, the memory of my husband was besmirched and a halo placed over the head of his slayer. ...against the forces of evil and hypocrisy which now control this city. Even reaching into pulpits to spread false rumors and reports, and into official circles to pervert justice, a lone woman cannot prevail. It must indeed be a dull conscience and complacent public which can view with unconcern the farcical conduct and outcome of this case. Sadly enough, it is not the first, nor will it be the last, if justice is to continue to be administered by such hands. Only a few months ago, gangsters shot and hopelessly crippled an honest policeman doing his duty in an attempt to, in attempting to arrest criminals. They were defended by one of the same attorneys who defended Clark. They put on the same kind of self-defense story they used in, in this case, and a jury of American citizens acquitted the gangsters. So widows are robbed of their husbands, children robbed of their fathers, mothers robbed of their sons, and this is called justice. Ella E. Crawford. And that was written four years ago, right? <laughs> that's hilarious, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, apparently that's the statement she made at the close of the trial. That's... Yeah, that's hundred years later, <laughs> still the same crap. And that's the crossroads of the world. Nowadays, um, there are still people staying there. There's like a publishing house, I think, or something that's staying there. There's a few... Do mm-hmm. any of the shops Most, exist? The shops don't exist. Like, okay. the buildings still exist, but mm-hmm. not, you, I mean... There's no French store, there's no China store, there's no yeah. Spain yeah, store. Well, I mean, there, I think some of the architecture still lingers around, you know, but mm. everything is pretty much closed. The build, the offices that are open, the shades are drawn. You know, like
1: Now, where did the hauntings come into play in this?
0: Uh, the hauntings that we had were just, yeah, literally people that we had talked to that were staying in the area. There's a church that used to be a bank that's literally on the county corner side of that. People would say they would see people walking back and forth from the church uh, into Crossroads. So,
1: so there's, there's no, nobody
0: tying Charles. Okay, so and we that's haven't. Why, seen... That's why I didn't want to do it on the tour, you know, because. So there is no, there is no Charles ghost. There is no Charles ghost that yeah. we know of, and bec- it wouldn't
1: matter much anyways because where he was killed was t- destroyed, right? The- demolished. So. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And yeah, the, the bungalow where he was killed, yeah, is completely gone.
1: Okay. So no, no hauntings or anything of that area, just kind of got a crazy history to crazy
0: it. Crazy history, yeah. yeah. And the, the crossroads, the,
1: the spire there is still there, correct? The spire is
0: still there, yeah. And For if sure, you... I think that's a historical landmark. Now, okay. So I think you can't...
1: Most of those buildings, like that, a lot of the area has been taken over by other businesses, correct? So it's that's not true, necessarily yeah. all, like that whole area that was originally there in the first place is no longer... Maybe that big, let's say, is that correct?
0: Definitely not. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's not a shopping mall anymore. So like, that's it. Kind of, yeah. Like the concept, like we said earlier, the concept's definitely been mm-hmm. killed.
1: I definitely think that's a neat idea. That that's or uh, I've been, I've heard of that area being called a or considered kind of the first outdoor mall in America. So that's kind of an interesting concept to to, mm-hmm. to look back in California and Los Angeles and say that that's where the original kind of idea for an outdoor mall
0: came from apparently the first one they said was the arcade mall which was in downtown LA oh okay um, okay so that they, was but that was technically like yeah, 26 or 26. so they considered that kind that of was first... technically the first one yeah. okay got yeah. it this was like the first like completely outdoors sort of one though.
1: that's pretty cool well my story kind of is around that same time um you're looking at about the mid-1920s or so um, we're going to talk about the Oban Hotel. That's uh, spelled O-B-A-N, not O-B-O-N. But Oban Hotel, uh, which is now can called the Hotel Hollywood. Is
0: that correct? Um, one second. Hollywood through. Hotel.
1: Uh, so we're looking at the... Um,
0: yeah, the Hotel Hollywood. Yeah, hotel was, Hollywood. Yeah, because that was the fancy way of saying it. I always wondered why they did it that way. Because you, you don't see that nowadays. Uh, yeah, where they put the hotel first. Hotel first, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's true. Um, this hotel was built in uh, 1926, uh, and it's, it's situated about a block away from the uh, Tower Records, uh, sorry, not Tower Records, excuse me, Capitol Records uh, building uh, just off of, uh, over by Vine in uh, Hollywood. Um, this hotel was uh, built in 1926, and it was meant to kind of be uh, more of a, a, I don't want to say lower class hotel, but let's say a, a less expensive hotel than, say, the Knickerbocker, which is just around the corner from it. Uh, obviously that was at the time, uh, very high end. Uh, you had a lot of, um, movie stars that were already, uh, well known at this point, staying at the Knickerbocker and at the Roosevelt. So this is kind of, um, an answer for people that still want to have a nice hotel, but didn't have to spend as much money, um, or, uh, you know, didn't have to pay through the nose to, to, to stay there, but it was a very simple hotel. Um, when you see it, it almost looks like it's a, a large house. Um, so it's not anywhere around the size of the other two hotels that I was just mentioning. Um, very quaint, kind of nestled in between some other buildings. Um, they did give a list of different famous people that have stayed there before, again, that they they became, you know, marquee names. Uh, but uh, you had names like Clark Gable, James Dean, Orson Welles, Paul Newman, and Marilyn Monroe, which mm-hmm. I think most people have heard of but uh yeah maryland Maryland, uh, (laughs) that doesn't ring a bell um but uh yeah so these people are staying here at the time they're um uh they're basically trying to make a name for themselves and they may have gotten their foot in the door but again they're not making those big paychecks that can
0: so all these were before they were who they were correct yeah this
1: is all before their their marquee names like i said so uh definitely um Uh, A a good list of people that have come through their doors and stayed there You can even if you you are ever interested in staying in this hotel, you can specifically request to stay in those rooms that uh, That James Dean and Marilyn Monroe stayed in they do know which rooms they were in and you can actually request that so if you're interested uh, uh, You can you can specifically ask for those rooms, so that should be fun Um, There is a there is a little bit of a history into the place Um, there are uh, a few ghost stories that come along with the territory of being in that, in that hotel. Uh, the story of, of the, the main ghost that, that they really have a lot of history about um, is a, a man named Charles Love. And uh, Charles Love was a stuntman for a comedian named Harry Langdon. All right. Now, uh, Charles was a props master, uh, meaning that he's kind of behind the scenes and, and, and putting things together. Uh, behind the scenes, you know, uh, different props, obviously, and things like that. Uh, but apparently he got into a, a skirmish with um, somebody at the studio, a uh, pretty heated argument. And he returned uh, to the Hotel Oban uh, and got himself uh, good and drunk. Now, the story goes is that he, he shot himself um, in the room and died in there. But uh, there's been other stories that come along that that, that, that he may have been murdered. Um, but as far as I know, he, he wrote a letter to Harry Langdon, um, and, then and then shot himself. So he did write a suicide note. Um, he did, uh, he, he did seem despondent after the argument. Uh, again, um, I believe he was drinking before he got back to the hotel. So he probably left the, left the, um, the studio and went to a bar or something and got drunk and then went back home. Did they ever release the
0: suicide note?
1: Not that I could find. I couldn't find any, any.
0: I mean that's also like a weird thing that's you know what I mean like it's I because every time you see it, like you hear a suicide note you're like oh that's so touching and moving and you're also like did they intend for millions of people to read you know what I mean yeah like, so when we talked about um, Pagan Whistle. P.M. Whistle. Yeah. yeah it was like I remember thinking like yeah, this is I mean this is grim you know but also I don't know well that was a very I, simple th- note too I feel like you should write like P.S. 20 people max you know, <laughs> yeah. or, you know or something I don't know that, that's don't show it's a weird everybody. thing to joke about but it's like also like kind of like yeah that's I always I always wonder about that but' I'll, you know because it's not like a we're all curious what he wrote to Harry, you know? Sure. But I guess that should just be, you know, between him and the Harry Langdon. Yeah.
1: I mean, um, I, whether Harry ever released the letter to the public or not, um,
0: I wasn't able to find any information about that. Um, I remember researching this a while ago, but I never, I didn't go try to go too deep into that, but yeah, I never found anything.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, who, who knows? Maybe, maybe Harry took it very personally and didn't want to share that information. Yeah. Um, but whatever the case may be, um, he, he, they, they assume that he committed suicide. That he did murder himself. That he did murder himself. He did, <laughs> he did kill himself. I mean, okay. <laughs> Murdered by me. Um, it was just second degree. So, degree. Uh, but yeah. So he, uh, he killed himself on February fifteenth, nineteen
0: thirty three. February fifteenth.
1: And uh, now that's also another date. After Valentine's Day. Yeah, right after game. Valentine's, yeah. yeah. Maybe
0: it was suicide.
1: Um, I don't know. I, who knows? I Like I said, it, they didn't explain anything about the argument. They didn't explain anything about the note. They just said that he, he left in a huff, basically, uh, because of this fight. Wrote this letter. Did they
0: say who at the studio yeah. was? In... They did.
1: I think it said the studio head. But they didn't give any names or anything like that or what position what it was. studio
0: it was even. yeah. I mean, whatever so he was filming studios, for. I mean, yeah. obviously,
1: and I also was like, I was also thinking to myself, why does he? Why does a comedian need a stunt man? That was my. Idea. Well,
0: well, no, comedians did so much physical comedy. I guess that's true. Did you, yeah, mean, Buster started, Keaton, like Charlie Chaplin, shit. Yeah. Like, oh my god, I, mean, I guess that's true. I mean, most of them did their own stunts, you know. Right. Because because that was what the page. Everyone were, except for Harry Langdon. <laughs> I mean, man, <laughs> he must have done some serious stuff. you know. <laughs> like.
1: But uh, yeah, so he he um, he shot himself and. Uh, people that have stayed in the room that he, uh, killed himself in, which I believe was room 311. Um, he, they've, they've complained about numerous things. Um, cold spots in the room, uh, when the heater is on the, the room temperature drops drastically, uh, messing with, um, you know, faucets and whatnot, kind of the typical haunting stuff that people say happens in a room that's supposedly haunted. Um, but, uh, they actually brought in, um... They brought in paranormal investigators into the into the hotel to kind of do some research, and uh, when they went into the basement, they were finding that these they were getting um, they were getting vibes in the, in there. Uh, she the the woman that was kind of the uh, psychic, if you will, or what, or the medium, or whatever you want to say. Uh, she felt that um, he was downstairs, and when they were going downstairs, there also
0: complaints of. Um... Like stenches of death?
1: Yeah. So that was the big thing was that they were going into the basement and catching these blasts of like, they were saying it smelled like methane. Now, okay. um, but it was definitely a really harsh stench and they were trying, they were saying that a lot of times that relates to somebody being murdered as opposed to a suicide. Uh, what that correlation is, I I don't know um, why, why they would kind of fall back to that and say, yeah, you have a stink, it means they were murdered. Who knows? Um, but maybe it's just you know a foul stench that accompanies bad things that happen i mean whatever it is they definitely were getting a a smell in the basement um when i was watching the video i was a little um skeptical of that because you're in a basement and there's pipes down there and there's things that can happen but while they were there they said that when they walked in the room the, the smell was not there uh and then when we or when they were leaving uh, or when they were walking around, the, the smell went away. So it wasn't a permanent thing. Mm. Uh, it came and went.
0: That's weird. Pretty
1: quickly, it seemed, maybe three, four minutes. Um, but they were they were definitely really affected by it. You could tell them they were like, we have to get out of here. It smells really awful in here. Some people didn't want to go back downstairs again after that. Uh, but it did go away. And so to me, I was thinking, well, you know, of course it might stink Under there. there's Again, there's gas pipes, there's electronics, things like that. It's in the basement of an old building. There might be a leak. But if it's coming, if it's, if it's there, if it's not there, then it comes there and then it's gone
0: that quickly. See, that's weird. That yeah. seems weird. Yeah. Cause if it was like, I mean, in my head, I remember hearing about this and being like, well, there's probably like a dead rat somewhere. Right. Something, you know, that's underneath a dryer that no one's moved in right. five years. Or exactly. Shit, you know? Exactly. But yeah, knowing that it's leaving, that wouldn't leave. Yeah. In four minutes, you'd still be like, oh God, we... We gotta find this dead rat. Right, right.
1: <laughs> so that was de- that was definitely interesting. Um. So, they they put forth the the proposition that he may have been murdered and not had a suicide. Great. Now there wasn't any. Again, there wasn't any kind of story as far as well he wasn't very liked or he had you know he had a, you know illegal gambling or whatever. There was nothing to lead. There was no news as far as what would make sense that he was possibly murdered. Um. So, again, we're just going off of the fact that. Uh, you have a psychic who's saying, I'm finding weird things in the basement. Um, they were saying that basically his spirit is usually kind of felt at the top of the stairs and then leading down into the basement. So he's kind of covering that whole area, uh, in the room as well. Um, uh, a lot of people, uh, f- report having sleep paralysis. And for those of you that are not listening or <laughs> that are listening <laughs> or ignoring listening.
0: us, <laughs> Hey, right here, wake
1: up, wake up. Uh, you wake up and you, you feel that there's, people feel that there's a presence either next to the bed, at the foot of the bed, almost even sometimes standing on them or pressing them down. And when they go to move to, to, to react to this, uh, they're not able to move. Um, basically you can, uh, move your eyeballs and that's about it. Uh, people have tried to, to yell for help or scream or whatever, but they can usually, um, see something and not able to, 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 respond in any way. Um, that's, when i'm doing the tours like the most frightening
0: thing yeah i can't imagine <laughs> everything i mean yeah.
1: already waking up in a, in a place that you don't know in the dark is kind of spooky enough as it is now you add the fact that you see a dark shadow at the foot of your bed and you go to move and you can't you can't do good anything.
0: lord i mean that's like that's the nightmare scenario you yeah know? like at least in a nightmare you can turn and run slowly <laughs> <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> really slowly <laughs> But yeah, so uh, people have responded uh, or said that they they felt these these uh, presences in this room that he supposedly killed himself in. Um, but again, now they're saying that uh, the psychic is feeling energy down in the basement as well. So, um, does he move down there? Was he murdered down there? Who knows? There's no straight straight answer for that, unfortunately. Um, but uh, I guess that the only answer is is that uh, stay away from th- room three eleven. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's that's uh, this that's was this by. was like late twenties, right? Uh, this is nineteen thirty-three. Thirty-three. Okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. okay. Um, I mean, but still, yeah, it's so so hard to get accurate record of anything. Yeah, you, know? you don't I
1: mean, really, unfortunately,
0: especially, especially as a cop back then, you know, with the as corrupt as it was too back, back then. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> they were absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah, he killed himself. Let's yep. go to the bar. <laughs> <laughs> <Literally>. Case closed. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking my friend from Boston. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was a heavy boss right. accent yeah, for I the LAPD, know, no, I but that's all right. No Throwing an Irish accent, <laughs> got to you got uh, the give it go. It's Officer O'Malley. Um, so he's he's the biggest ghost. Um, uh, th- there are two other uh, spirits that are supposedly said to haunt the, the, the building. Um, one is a female ghost who seems to be stuck on the second floor. Um, apparently, they think that she uh, can't find her way out of the building. That she's stuck in her room and she can't figure out how to get out of that area. Crazy. Um, not much to that story though. They just they, they see her from time to time. Um, it could it, it it might be the woman that worked the front desk, but uh, as far as they know, they think it it was more of a of somebody who who was just staying there as opposed to uh, somebody who worked there. Hmm. Uh, however, the second ghost. Uh, a lo- uh the the owners of the well the, the people that work there really feel that the second ghost is actually a ghost of the former owner of the building um and same thing like i don't think he necessarily um uh does anything specific to haunt he, they just see him from time to time um there's never been any kind of stories attached to this to that second ghost hmm. or to the third ghost excuse me um they did have a good cool, kind of a cool story about the female ghost however um there was a gentleman that was staying in one of the rooms um and, uh, he, uh, he was, um, I don't know if he was sleeping or not, but he said that uh, he turned around and he saw a woman standing in front of his closet, uh, going through his stuff, uh, like kind of going through his clothes, like through the, through the, uh, oh, man. <clears throat> through the, uh, closet. I
0: would freak out. Clothes were moving. <laughs> yeah. And well, <laughs> like, he oh
1: looked at her, he said it was a blonde woman standing there and she's going through his closet and, and he said to her, excuse me, what are you doing? And she responded i'm just going through your
0: clothes (laughs) and
1: when he went to to kind of like you know go after her whatever she she walked into the closet and disappeared through a locked door in the closet um however he said that when he was going through his clothes uh he had a green silk jacket that that she shredded and that was his way of knowing that he wasn't just Imagining things, imagine, yeah. that he went to he he looked in the, the closet and when he when he pulled out the jacket the jacket was shredded. What? How she did it? Who knows? Um, but um, I guess apparently when he went to approach her she just walked into the closet and disappeared. So Jesus. But yeah, so I can only imagine. You know, you're sitting in a hotel room and there's some woman going through <laughs> your stuff in the middle of the night. So <laughs> kind of creepy. Um, but yeah, so that was that was very interesting. Um, and that was kind of a cool story. But. Uh, Oh, oh, uh, with Charles love, that was the other thing was that they would they, they would always say that there was a thickening of the air in the room mm. and that they would see a shadow. and the other thing that was kind of cool about the shadow is he would always see the, the shadow of an, the outline of a man, always dark, but then he would turn rust colored, which I thought was strange that he the, mm-hmm. sh, the shadow would change different colors to a like almost like a rust color. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting that I mean, you know the dark shadow of a person is always said, but for the shadow to change colors. I'd
0: never heard I mean, that before. At all, yeah. You, know, you never rust.
1: Yeah. It was uh, accompanied again by the foul odor. Um, and, uh, yeah. I, I mean, basically, uh, these three ghosts, of the three ghosts, Charles is the one that kind of gets the most attention, if you will, um, because he seems to be doing all these things, again, with the, with the smell of things and with the turning on faucets and and perhaps doing the sleep paralysis and whatnot. Now, me personally, um doing these ghost tours, I have always kept an open mind about ghosts. I've never really personally had a ghost ghostly experience. I've never been I've never had sleep paralysis. I've never <laughs> uh, I've done a, a you know, I've done um channeling before and I, I talked to you about that. Uh, yeah, um, we
0: should do a we should, we'll probably do an episode on that. Yeah,
1: and that was really fantastic. Um but I uh, I definitely I've never I've never felt that I've seen a ghost or that I've had something happen where I felt that there was a ghost in the room. However, doing doing this story, doing the story about the Oban Hotel on our tour, um, I was doing a presentation in front of the building and uh, one of our guests was filming me as I was giving the story. Um, As she, after the story ended, um, we were talking and she pulled me over to the side and wanted to show me the video that she had just recorded of me. And when she showed me the video, uh, you could see, uh, she pointed out to me that, um, uh, a small sphere or orb as, uh, in the ghost community likes to call it a, a small orb came, um, floating out behind me and then actually floated up around, um, where my, uh, my front pocket would be and was kind of floating around me for about 30 seconds or so. Now I've seen pictures of orbs. I've seen how orbs act. I've never seen an orb on video before. And that was very interesting for me because, um, I tried to look at the different video to see, or look at different ways of the video to see was it light refracting? Was the camera moving? Was this? Was that? Mm-hmm. To just basically try to wash away any doubt that this could be something besides what it, what I think it right, is. Yeah. And when, when I looked at it, um, unfortunately, I wasn't able to get a copy of the video because it was such a long uh, uh, recording. It wasn't able to transfer very well and clearly. And it, without that clearness, you couldn't see the, the, the orb. Um, but I did see the orb come come up to me kind of float around me for about 30 to 40 seconds and then it slowly went away like it wasn't interested anymore. But for me to see that without the camera moving, without any kind of light or anything like that, that was quite exciting. That's um, crazy. I had never seen anything like that before. Again, not even that occurring to me, just watching ghost videos and things like that online. I would never seen an orb actually caught on video. And to see that was very exciting. Um I wish, I wish I could have gotten a copy of that video. Um, I know. but very exciting. So, uh, was it Charles coming out to see what we were talking about? Maybe he, he was excited
0: that somebody was talking about him or, or, or the landlady yeah, or landlady or the, landlady the, or the chick the, stuck on the second floor. No, I guess she wasn't. Yeah. Cause yeah. she came. No. Yeah. Cause you this is the, the front. Yet, yeah, I'm outside. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe it was the owner right. just, you know, making sure I wasn't spitting gum on his front you know, porch or something, but right. that was definitely, uh, on the tour, uh, something that was caught on camera that I've that I've never seen and that I have yet to see again on the tour um, this is my third year doing the tour and uh, when we start back up again you know I always encourage people to take videos and pictures and stuff like that but um you, you really won't see that stuff unless you do take pictures and, and then go back and study them because sometimes you don't see it uh, at
0: first that, that's so true yeah you know? I, I, I love when people just take random pictures on our tour I remember when we first started, it was kind of like, uh, you'd think like, oh, are they not paying attention to my story? You know, I'm trying to tell you this cool history, you know, but that's <laughs> what they're doing. You know, just right. trying to, trying to catch that moment, mm-hmm. you know, and I've definitely had, definitely had a lot of those, um, which is really cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Very exciting. So if you ever, uh, my, my advice to you is if you are ever on a ghost tour of any kind, um, take a lot of pictures, take a lot of videos. I mean, you can always erase those pictures, but you know, study them really closely to see if you capture... You know, um, uh, the only other thing that I've seen on our tour was, um, about the, uh, at the Pacific Warner theater and I'll do a story about that later. But, um, when I was, well, well, you know what, I can save that for that time.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, that, you know that's a. That's a good, Sorry, to that's be continued. A what a tease! <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah,
1: uh, but Oban Hotel, still a really cool spot, still open to the public.
0: Yeah, you can still get a room there, right? Still I mean, get a room
1: right, there. Right. Um, less expensive than staying at the Roosevelt. Still, st- still less
0: expensive than staying at the. Oh, and you can't stay at the. I, I, always, I always tell people like, depending on what's playing at the Pantages, it's a nice, it's a cheap place to stay. Yeah, absolutely. when Hamilton's around, it's like two hundred bucks. I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. But that's Hollywood. That's but
1: yeah, keep that name Charles Love in your memory. And um, when you go there, say hi to him. Maybe he'll uh, stop in and turn your water faucet on for you.
0: Nice, nice. You got anything else? I'm trying. I'm, I'm, no, I'm no, we're. Uh... Sweet.
1: We'll see you guys next week for another uh, couple of stories and hope you guys will be there. Uh,
0: next week, Tia Bean, uh, my wife and co-owner of the company, will be with us. Uh, she has a story that's, uh, I mean, she's been pumping up this story nonstop, so it, it's, it better be good. <laughs> no, I'm sure, sure it's going to be great. Um, but yeah, this has been Jameson and Patrick. If you like Hollywood's Haunted or want to know more information, visit HollywoodHaunted.com. Um and then um, Book a tour. Book a tour when we open up in, uh, uh, next year or whatever. <laughs> um also get our podcasts wherever it goes. Um and we're out.